Hi, I'm Katie and welcome to my podcast, My Rare Disease. This is a platform where I raise awareness of something that affects 1 in 17 people, rare disease. By chatting to patients, health professionals and advocates, we talk about all aspects of rare disease, including relationships, mental health and much more. I cannot wait for you to hear some truly inspiring stories from some absolutely amazing people. This episode features Sadie, who is a third year politics and international relations student at the University of Westminster. Sadie was diagnosed with cavernous malformation at 19 years old, resulting in chronic fatigue, migraines and difficulty in dealing with emotion. In this episode, we discuss how an illness affects the whole family, the mental health struggles that can come with having an illness, extra hurdles Sadie has come across along the way, and the services that the Cavernoma Alliance and Cavernoma Society have to support people living with the condition. Hello everyone, welcome to my podcast. Today I'm joined with Sadie who has cavernous malformation or CCM as some people call it. So welcome Sadie, how are you? Are you well? Yeah, hi, I'm really good actually, thank you. Good, good. What have you been up to? Um, I've just been studying, so my first week of uni has just been done. Um, it's slightly strange because it's online but yeah yeah hopefully though like you're in the comfort of your own home study online would be a bit better but yeah, yeah I have upgraded my study space so yeah oh yeah it looks it looks so good for anyone that hasn't seen it it's so good um so obviously today we're talking about um your chronic illness so would you just start by telling everyone what it is um your diagnosis and like your health journey if you like so far um, so I was diagnosed in December of last year with a cavernous malformation. Um, I was diagnosed after I had a seizure on an aeroplane. Mm-hmm. And it was about three hours before we was due to land after returning home from Vietnam. I had quite a large seizure and, and was unconscious for a while afterwards. Um, ended up in A&E, um, went for loads of tests and was diagnosed with it. Um, it's in my left temporal lobe. So with all the added complications of having a cavernoma, um, where it's in my left temporal lobe, it affects things like word processing, um, when you read things, the way you're, you process information that comes from your eyes, but it also affects your emotions. Okay. So it causes so many problems with your emotions. So you overreact without realizing you'll have full on breakdowns. Right. Without, yeah. so it's such a small thing becomes such a large thing. Definitely, yeah, and and especially when obviously other people can't see it, so you may react in one way, and everyone's like, "Oh, yeah, why?" But and I, I guess or not, I know because people can't see it. It's even harder to like explain as well, isn't it? Yeah, and when you say you have a cavernoma, people just don't get what it is. Yeah, like they don't understand what it is so basically it's it's like a benign brain tumor right um, but it looks like a raspberry so imagine your blood vessels your veins mm-hmm. but something look like a raspberry there so the blood has to go through loads of these little caverns okay to inside, but it has miniature holes in because it's quite weak yeah so it is blood touches loads of stuff causes seizures emotional problems and then reabsorbs it like nothing's happened 
two things really number one having a seizure on a plate like that must have been awful it i've never i don't think anyone's really experienced much like it so my luckily i had two of my best friends with me right um, my professor that was on the flight was great but what really shocked me was that people because it was a university trip and um, so people in my university course that i wouldn't necessarily have said I was friends with or that they even particularly liked me mm. they were brilliant like they found a doctor on board um basically advocated for me because the airline didn't really care so like they should have landed over Europe but they chose to keep going for another three hours also yeah I was going to say did they stop but no I, I was emailing back and forth with the airline trying to say like this isn't okay like no. the seizure lasted long enough that it could have caused like brain damage but you didn't <laughs> stop and they basically just told me oh we'll talk to the employees it's fine but I was looking at like filing litigation whatever but it was just it was way too expensive to keep pushing forward with yeah. it and I guess you didn't just email and contact them for you it's kind of any future incidents yeah, but on, pre on like further research about Vietnam Airlines, they had a man that had a heart attack on board and they didn't yeah. stop, just kept flying to their destination. Wow. But, um, so what, apart from like seizures, so what symptoms do you experience day to day? Like, could you tell me what you think is the difference between a good day and a bad day? So something that I always struggle with is chronic fatigue. Okay. Uh, can't get away from it it's constant um and then also I get really really bad migraines right so I always have some form of headache no matter what mm -hmm. but on a really bad day um I can't open my eyes I can't walk to the bathroom I can't really do anything like water makes me feel sick mm -hmm. and I stay in bed for about three three four days yeah and I've even given things like codeine and amitriptyline by the doctor and that doesn't even touch it no wow and we're gonna well move on to this a bit later but now how old are you 20 yeah yeah so going through that a being diagnosed i say later on in life but obviously like not at birth that's one thing that i talk to quite a few people about because sometimes i think being diagnosed like later on can often be harder than like being born with a condition but secondly you're like obviously very young wanting to live your life and the last thing you want is to be in bed for days on end because you're unwell yeah so i've been told that i was born with it oh okay yeah so i was born with it um it was just a coincidence that that's when it caused symptoms so yeah. one in 600 people have it so that's quite common yeah for people to have it but one in 400,000 people get symptoms. So people can go their whole lives like without even knowing yeah. that. A lot of people find out, just they go for an MRI for something else and find out and it causes no problems. It's really rare that you get one that causes problems. Um, okay. Which really brought something up to me because I went through my entire childhood with really bad headaches. Um, okay. Bad headaches, um, feeling... When I started that puberty, I was feeling really tired all the time. Yeah. Was told by doctors, oh no, the headaches are normal, you're growing. Mm. Being tired is normal. But they couldn't 
I wasn't anemic. So that's normally the only excuse of when you're going through puberty that you feel tired yeah. as a girl. So it was just a thing of doctors being like, oh no, you're, you're, you're growing. You're... That's the only reason. But then to find out actually I did have something that was causing small, smaller problems throughout my life that was just ignored. Do you know why you were affected with symptoms? Like, does that have to get to a certain size? Um, no. So they don't generally grow. Um, they, they're benign. Sometimes they can swell up and shrink down a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just random. There's no... They haven't been able to figure out an explanation as to why some people get symptoms, why people don't. Um, all of them have weak like weak walls to them mm-hmm. so it could be just a case of it weakened enough right yeah okay it's sort of like a bit of a ticking time bomb of like well yeah I can imagine because I can imagine it's scary now obviously you had the seizure now I'm thinking well is and when is it going to affect me like that again like the last thing you want is just to be anxious a lot of the time because you don't know why yeah. the biggest thing of the anxiety though was that when I was younger, about six, mm-hmm. my dad had a bleed on his brain. And I remember he was gone. He was in King's College for months, like about mm-hmm. six, seven months before he came home. There was no explanation for it. They couldn't figure out the cause. It just healed itself. Oh. So when something happened to me and it was brain related and it involved blood, whatever, my dad yeah. completely freaked out. And so did my mum and like my mum as well. And it was just a thing of like, I guess he felt sort of like guilty. Yeah. Like yeah. even though we later found out it's nothing to do with what he had, it was that level of guilt. And it didn't really come to like the realization until it was my twentieth birthday. So I was drinking, it was my mm-hmm. birthday, I was doing yeah. what a normal twenty year old does. Yeah. And um, I'm not really supposed to drink because of my medication. Right. But I do sometimes yeah. drink. Yeah. I'm pretty like I want <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I was really really drunk and he completely freaked out so like I didn't even realize it bothered him at all he'd been completely like stern face yeah and it just bothered him bothered him so much and I didn't realize I didn't realize that was the reason why he started shouting why he was so upset and angry but it wasn't till my mum pointed it out he's been really feeling guilty over it and really worried which was like a really scary thing to realize that like your dad's actually worried. Yeah. I've never seen him worried like ever. I think it's really difficult like, for family members, for everyone involved. Like it's not just the person with the illness, it's everyone around them, especially when like, symptoms didn't, um, you aren't exposed symptoms till later on. It's kind of more of a shock because yeah, it's just difficult for family members like to look after you but also like show their emotions at the same time I think a lot of people like would relate to that also that thing of like like they've raised you yeah after you and protect you and then there was something there all this time that they didn't figure out yeah exactly like they they think it's their job to do that but ultimately if doctors the people you trust in said oh the headaches are just because you're growing up like if they didn't know that, then your family aren't expected to know that, are they? But yeah, I can imagine that it's a really difficult role for them. 
one of the biggest lessons I learned from that is you know your body, even if you've never had any medical yeah. health issues before. Yeah. You know your body. Like yeah, definitely. you need to advocate for yourself and do not be afraid to just turn around to a doctor and say, like, I want to see another doctor. Mm, definitely. But especially for people in the UK and the US, um, if you say to your doctor um that you'd li- that you'd like them to document their refusal to send you for a test for something nine times out of ten they turn around and send you for that test yeah exactly yeah so you really need to like be your own advocate like you really need to fight you shouldn't have to fight for your doctors to treat you but but you do yeah sometimes that's just what you have to do um so as you said you're 20 you're a student in your third year now so what's it been like living away from home um obviously having a social life while being at uni but also balancing um your illness so i'd say my uni life was slightly different to begin with so um a month before i was due to start uni i was originally going to bournemouth had an unconditional offer um completely freaked out turned it down got rid of my ucas application um and moved in with my boyfriend Okay. So moved in with him and he was sort of like you do want to go to uni though so I don't know why you've turned it down and it was just this whole thing of like my topic wasn't what I wanted mm-hmm. so I was going to be doing animal ecology oh, which okay. soon became politics <laughs> yeah. but which was such a random change so I went to uni um, su- supported by my boyfriend mm-hmm. um, so for the first year we lived at his his house with his family okay. um, and then we moved in with my family halfway through and then after about nine months we moved into our own place together and we're still living together now mm-hmm. so like I've never really been in student halls I've always been commuting yeah so I didn't necessarily didn't really have that student experience of partying too much like yeah I would party but I wasn't in the student environment like accommodation as much mm-hmm. um, so in terms of like the partying side it didn't particularly bother me okay. um, but the biggest thing was not being able to drive so I went from being able to drive myself to the train station to having to get back on a school bus like on happened to be the bus I used to get to school with people that were years younger than me yeah. who were still in so it was that having to get to it was using that independence again. So like yeah. I moved out. Yeah. I moved in with my boyfriend, was like had all of our just sort of like playing house, if that makes sense. Like yeah. just living like that for that to be like, okay, I'm basically like a child again. I ha- I can't I can't really work. So he's supporting me. Right. Um I to uni. Mm-hmm. Um I can't afford to pay for my train fare, so he's paying for it. Yeah, so I suppose it's being independent, but also having to depend on him as well. And obviously, that that's not in hasn't been your long term plan, has it? And like, I don't know if you're like me, but I always like to have a plan of what I want to do, like go to uni, live away from home, etc. And the last thing you want is like a barrier in the way. And now, I suppose compared to people like without illness, I suppose you've had to like consider a few more things. Is that right? Yeah, so um, I carry a medical ID, um, my phone 
has so many medical details on it for the health app so if they're in an emergency people can access it yeah it took me so long to return back to university um because i had such this big fear of being on a train yeah. having a seat and people couldn't deal with it mm-hmm. um, because when you say oh I've, i have a seizure on a or I, i'm going to have a seizure yeah people oh I'll put you in the in recovery position and you're like no don't touch me yeah don't touch me like I will hurt myself and don't don't move me and it's just so many people didn't know that so it was that fear of I can't really be independent now I'm dependent on other people being with me um I can't even get on a train like it took me so long to be like I can get on a train it's fine it's fine I can get on a train um it was just so difficult but in terms of you said about having a plan mm-hmm. so I really wanted to do my master's in America really wanted to go live in America um realized that I couldn't actually do it now because of the health insurance that I would need to be able to be out there was mm-hmm. just impossible um because I told them I told the health insurance companies like my condition what it meant that sort of thing and they quoted me three and a half thousand pounds a month. A month? Wow. <laughs> and that's just for basic health insurance. Yeah. So it was just actually, I can't go and do that now. Like something that I've been planning on since I was probably about 15. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that kind of goes nicely to our next topic. So you, one of the things you wanted to talk about was like rare disease and mental health. So I'm guessing well a having a seizure on on the plane from getting back on a like tra- going on a train again to uni and now not being able to go to america so yeah don't tell me a bit about that um so it was just with the mental health side after i had my seizure um i was told that i couldn't work for a while um i couldn't drive for a while um and because i was living away from like my family mm-hmm. I just stayed indoors. I must have stayed indoors for about two months, like mm. only leaving when my part. We went. Out, I went out with my partner. Yeah. And the effect that that had on my mental health was awful. Um, I couldn't clean, so the house was a mess. Um, I literally stayed in bed like every day for like two months. Um, I was just so terrified of going out and having a seizure so my depression got so much worse um my anxiety went through the roof Um, and it wasn't till I started counseling months after that where she was like I don't I don't necessarily want to classify it as depression anxiety it's more PTSD because it's yeah it's you've you're affected by this traumatic event yeah I get that yeah so it was just that thing of like oh crap like that word PTSD that's that's just as terrifying as like experience of it like yeah yeah definitely so that feeling like it's imposter syndrome that PTSD is what veterans get it's what it's something you go through something horrific like how can I compare a seizure on a plane to like something like that yeah I know what you mean I suppose when you're in the moment you kind of you kind of get on with it like you kind of like get but it's when you sit back and think 
oh that actually was really scary and not just like physically but mentally as well yeah and also it's that thing of realizing that your mental health or the way you see your mental health is valid yeah okay PTSD is something that people associate with war zones mm-hmm. that sort of thing, and actually saying no I, I did have PTSD um it is valid it is I don't have to justify it I don't have to say well what I went through was traumatic no I don't have to justify it or make it seem as serious as yeah the yeah I think I think if it well it clearly did like if it affected you in a way that you know it brings up memories and things like that then of course it's valid and I and I, I always say this to people like when people get upset and they say oh I shouldn't be upset but if it's affecting you in that way that it is valid if you know what I mean like it yeah just because it doesn't upset one person doesn't mean that it shouldn't upset you yeah and on a similar thing I had so many people um in my life saying to me oh but it's not as bad as if you had this or it's not as like especially people at uni oh it's not as bad as like when you had this or when you oh or if someone else has this condition or this disease be grateful that you don't have that and I'm like why should I be grateful for for the fact it's not 10 times worse it's not like you've brought it upon yourself like yeah it's, of course you're it's, grateful that you know being grateful of what you've been given yeah accept and be grateful that it's not worse and I'm just like I don't need to be grateful that it's not worse just let me focus on that it's it is something incredibly crappy Mm, that focusing on it being something being worse for other people doesn't help in one bit it's like it's just oh you're sad get over it It yeah so yeah focusing on yourself like that's the most important thing um the last thing you want is other people to like compare your situation to other people's like top trumps as well yeah. don't you say when people ask you a question and you answer it honestly like this is what happened people are like oh well my uncle had this or are they trying top trumps you and it's just i would never imagine doing that to someone else like yeah exactly exactly yeah someone say said like oh I had a seizure and this happened and you were like well that means nothing (laughs) look at me (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah I think obviously mental health is such a broad a broad spectrum and I think um we do I've like talked to quite a few people about rare disease and mental health or like chronic illness and mental health and they're definitely interlinked like some like generally like wears down on you because when you're when you're telling people, oh, I have this, and you get that constant thing of, I've never heard of that. Oh, doesn't that mean this? And it's just, it's like you're fighting to be seen. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to you saying about advocating for yourself. Well, when um, I went to my first neurology appointment at my <laughs> local hospital, they just, he just kept talking and talking. I was like, you do know that I know what I've been diagnosed with. Yeah. And it to me as if I had epilepsy and he was like what and he, he went and read my medical notes and was like oh I didn't know that and I was like I got diagnosed at this hospital like a, f- a month ago and then this doctor sort of I don't I still don't believe that he really knows my condition because it's there's not that many doctors that deal with it yeah and he still doesn't really know 
Um, I have a really good neurovascular surgeon up at King's who's great, mm-hmm. but it was so mentally draining seeing, like, this is my neurologist. He's there to manage my medication, make sure that I'm coping, make sure that I'm not getting any symptoms. But he just doesn't really care. Like, he doesn't really... He, yeah. yeah, he just really what it was. And that was the most mentally draining part of it. Like, yeah. you're my doctor. Yeah. <laughs> about it. How am I supposed to yeah. know about it? But sometimes I think, like, I spoke to some other people about this, how, like, you have to be your own doctor to, one, advocate for yourself, but yeah. number two, like, often you will have more information than than they do. And that, well, obviously that shouldn't be the case, but it is sometimes. <laughs> My mum was in this appointment and he was talking and me and my mum turned around and was like, We you do know she's got she's got a diagnosis. You're here to like decide what medications, um, give advice, further like explain. Mm-hmm. And I kid you not, he got up his medical journal, went to read the paragraph about what it's about, and then Googled it. Yeah. He went, he Googled the thing and I was like what are you going to tell me that's on that website that I haven't read already? Yeah. I, I bet when you were diagnosed, first diagnosed, like, obviously you researched it. <laughs> yeah, constantly to the point where there was no longer any any research that I could yeah. do. On it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so we talked. You talked a bit about obviously you have like a really good doctor in London, um, but also talked a bit about lack of support. But um, when we talked about this before, so there's. Um, the Cavanoma Alliance and Society um, and obviously having symptoms of the condition is really rare um, so I think having those two support organisations is amazing actually but um, can you just tell me a bit about what they do and maybe like if you've been in contact with them? Um, so I know of the Cavanoma Society mm-hmm. um, they do various fundraising so they've just released a colouring book adults that is about cavernomas and raises awareness for them but the one that I'm more involved with is the cavernoma alliance yeah found them online through facebook and they've set up a support group on facebook so we just people just post what's happening to them um is this it's sort of like a is this normal has anyone else experienced it (laughs) everyone gets involved um it's a completely no judgment area at all everyone's so quick to be like try this oh mention ask your doctor about this like and um, if your doctor says no to this why don't you try asking him asking it from him like this yeah they've been really good um they've just got a load of funding as well so they've increased um the amount of counseling they can offer to people um they do a lot of research into sort of finding more about what a cavernoma is because there's not that much research on it yeah so they do so many things at the moment they're releasing an id card okay um a lot of people with conditions have id cards that they keep in their purse or their wallet yeah yeah says to first responders this is what i've got um please don't give me this medication please don't do this but make sure like time it that's just sort of tells people what to do yeah yeah secured funding to be able to do that to make those for for free for everyone that's got a cavernoma 
yeah that's that's really good and obviously really reassuring not just for you um but for anyone if you like you do fall on well um for them to have a look at as well facebook groups like they can be really good but sometimes they can like worry you more like what what do you think about um i don't have it set so that posts turn up on my feed oh okay i don't have it i don't like things finding me if that makes sense mm-hmm. um if i want to post something or i'm in the right mental space to read about other people's journeys yeah then i can go on it oh, okay um, because I did have it on my feed and it was just every day a constant thing of like like this happened oh I've had no symptoms for years and then I had a stroke and it was just that anxiety of like you know what that could happen so I do sort of mute it a bit yeah um I sort of go to it when I'm in the right mental space yeah which is fair enough yeah the last thing you want is to like relate how you're feeling and then reading this post and put the two and two together and then obviously make you even more anxious about the whole thing viral yeah exactly exactly um so yeah having those two like organizations for support is so good lots you mentioned about um they're paying funding for counseling which again just shows the interlink or they know how much like illness can affect your mental health um so yeah but um to round the recording off, there are obviously two more things that I like to do at the end. Um, so firstly, obviously talking about your whole the medical experience, what three were, how do you sum it up? Which three words would you use? Um, can I use one with a hyphen in it? Yeah, go for it, yeah. Life-changing. Mm-hmm, definitely. Terrifying. Yeah. So revealing, because it's really revealed myself and who i am that sort of it's really revealed i I can imagine yeah and i can imagine it's as you said earlier like about family members um polly revealed a lot about your relationship with them um their feelings and emotions as well so yeah that'd be good three words and lastly i'm excited to share this your quote um so it is if an egg is broken by an outside force, life ends. If it is broken by an inside force, life begins. Great things always begin from the inside. Which I think is really good. And again, kind of highlights the whole mental health aspect. And the two things that come to mind there is like determination, motivation. Like you need something to like spark in your mind to um, make you feel motivated. Yeah. Um, I would say to anybody listening to this podcast, I I do have a TV show to recommend to you. Okay, go for it. So on Netflix, there's a Netflix original called Away. Um, sci-fi, it's a brilliant TV show. Um, anyone would love it. But the main character um, who goes to space, her husband, who's left on the ground, um, has a cavern owner. Oh, um, it's okay. one of the first times on tv that it's ever ever been on there it's not it's the first tv show in my knowledge that has someone with that condition in it um it's so emotional as well because he's supposed to go to space but he can't because he gets diagnosed with it so again for them that's life-changing isn't it so then while his wife is in space she's gone for three years he has a stroke because of the cavernoma 
so it's it's obviously such a good tv show and if you want to learn a bit about a cavernoma while also watching a really really good show okay thank you for that's a good recommendation i like that um but yeah thank you sadie it's really good to talk to you you can listen to this episode on apple Podcasts, spotify anchor and overcast but yeah thank you very much <laughs>